0: I'm speaking with Jeremy Lassen. He's the editor of Nightshade Books and the publisher. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. Always a pleasure, Rick. Jeremy, let's talk about something that I think may be an absolute first in the science fiction field. This would be the cover of Eclipse 3. This is a collection of new science fiction and fantasy. It's a genre of anthology that goes back to the dawn of science fiction time, practically, uh, wherein a a publisher and editor says, okay, we're going to put together... uh, Collection of stuff that's new that we think is interesting. Um, your editor here is Jonathan Strahan. What interests me on this novel is or this collection is that every single name on the front cover is the name of a woman, and I don't think has that ever happened before.
1: Um, I'm sure it has. <laughs> uh, there've been plenty of female-only anthologies. Sure, sure, sure. Let's that's let's,
0: let's take those out, out of the equation. But I'm talking about something you know like uh, Starlight, uh, Terry Carrs, I uh, went New Worlds. I mean, there's I mean. I don't. Th- I think this kind of this might be a first.
1: Well, if it is or isn't, it was a it was an interesting mix of stories that Jonathan had, and the names that ended up on a cover are always kind of voodoo black magic. <laughs> and um, so it's just a matter of you know what names are going to appeal to get people to put the book off the shelf or to you know get the buyers to stock it on the shelf in the first place. And um, so it just um, turned out that way this time. Um, I think the contents was a little bit female-heavy on this one, mm-hmm. but um, there was no intentionality going on there. I think it was just a happy coincidence. That's
2: um, why, I'm,
1: that's why I'm, I didn't think
0: there was an intentionality, but I do think that the coincidental aspect speaks to a, a change in the field that, uh, that we are seeing now.
1: Well, no. I think there's always been a strong... You know, women have always had a strong influence on the genre. And, I mean, I think there's, it's interesting. Recently there's been ideas of, like, a gender gap in science fiction as opposed to fantasy, um, both amongst readers and writers, um, and amongst short fiction. And I'm not necessarily sure why that is, but it does seem to be that there, you know, are more, you know, women reading fantasy than there are science fiction specifically. Mm. I don't know if it's – there's been a huge amount of speculation on, you know, why the actual numbers of short fiction and the authors writing short fiction, um, you know, tend to be men more than women to publish short fiction in the various pro markets. Um, But I think there's always been a really strong undercurrent, uh, you know, even, you know, particularly in the last ten years of, you know, female writers. I mean, one of the most famous, you know – successful writers of short science fiction and fantasy, I think, is, um, you know, as far as being able to make a living writing short fiction, is Kelly Link. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: it seems like with writers like that out there who, you know, can cross back and forth over the genres and, you know, really help redefine what science fiction and fantasy is in the 21st century, you know, I think that's just a really good thing for the genre.
0: And it's nice to see some of these names in here. They've come from, I've met uh, some of these people at uh, sf and Ellen Clagis and Molly Gloss, I was particularly surprised to see, since her last novel was more a mainstream novel. It's nice to see her back in, in genre fiction.
1: Yeah, Jonathan does a really good job of digging up writers who aren't necessarily, you know, science fiction oriented or, you know, um, Ellen Clay just is, uh, you know, her published novels are um, young adults with a kind of historical science, you know, basis. I know she's written science fiction for a long time, but you know, and then Karen Joy Fowler. It's always great to see her, mm-hmm. you know, back in the science fiction genre, you know, because she's had, you know, success with her novels as mainstream novels. Um, even though she hasn't really done a science fiction novel per se in a long time. Um, but it's her short fiction is always You know, right around the edges of the genre, so to speak. So I thought it was really great when I saw the the contents. I was just uh, very happy because there's a huge Nicola Griffith is another writer who, you know, you don't see her novels. um, You know, she has a Main Street series right now, but you don't see her her novels in science fiction. So it's great to see her short fiction.
0: And Elizabeth Baer is very, very active in the genre itself. I mean, she's publishing novels at at a pretty mind-boggling rate. Uh, she's got tour some a series from out from tour that is reminds me of some of the real classic uh, Jack Vance style science fiction. I first wrote them where I where look at the covers and the images were almost disturbing to me.
1: Yeah, I've I've loved Bear's work for a long time. Um, Night had actually published a collection of hers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, "The Change You Refuse." And, um, yeah, her prolificity is um, kind of funny. I think I kind of joke, I think her and uh, uh, Jay Lake are in a competition to see how many published words of genre fiction they can have in the last decade. Because <laughs> Both of them seem to be like two very, very prolific writers.
0: And one last aspect of Eclipse see, I love the cover. Again, this reminds me exactly of a cover that I saw on a spinning rack of paperbacks in Zodi's department store in Covina uh, in 1972. It was one of the Terry Carr anthologies. And I thought, I looked at this and I thought, wow, they, you really nailed it this time.
1: Well, that's exactly what I was going for. Um, this cover in particular was a real pleasure for me. It was a, a, a kind of a gift of fate. Um, I've always been a big fan of Richard Powers and um, and his artwork, and those uh, you know those paperback covers of the, uh, the 60s and 70s really, you know, were one of the things that drew me into the genre. I've always you know wished I could publish a book that looked like you know those books that you know sent me down this path. And the Eclipse series has always been um, a kind of a, a, for cover wise, kind of a playground for me. Um, For the first volume, I got a uh, Michael Whalen cover, and um, second volume, I got a Donato cover. These are both artists that I've just, you know, I always thought were kind of way out of my league, and I'd never be able to get them. And you know, but they kind of got on board with the idea of uh, an original science fiction anthology.
0: Michael Whalen, in particular, boy, I remember. I think the first thing I saw by him that really, you know, knocked me out of the park was when I saw the very first uh, Dark Tower book at the uh, Change of Hobbit, and I go, "Wow, look oh, at yeah. this man!" I just was just knocked out by those those Whelan interiors and the covers. I
1: mean, I just... <laughs> I make a joke about the, um, the Friday cover and the um, things that are, yeah, the Friday cover, the Robert Heinlein cover, and the mm-hmm. things that knocked me out from that. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> But uh, statue, the, his statuesque women, his, uh, you know, and it's really funny because Wayland's artwork, um, really kind of like is that kind of photorealistic painting, is one of the, um, you know, one of the nails that kind of ended the, the the sur- the surreal look of like artists like Richard Powers
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: on, you know, on genre covers. It used to be science fiction was very psychedelic. Right Like the commercial presence of science fiction had this kind of psychedelic look, and Richard Powers was at you know his covers were at the forefront of that and helped define that and you know, so I actually um contacted the estates and I was trying to find out if there are any unused pieces of Richard Power's art that might be available and it turned out that this cover um that's on Eclipse three um was commissioned um but never used and wow. Um, the estate and nobody really knows what book it was intended for
2: so <laughs> it's anybody
1: so... out there listening to this actually you know knows what cover this was actually intended for i 'd love to hear it
0: uh, this is great well we 'll put that in the article and hope somebody uh, writes us and tells us who it was for
1: <laughs> but uh, it's it 's funny because i um I talked a lot about my desire for richard power 's covers or covers like this uh with Charles Brown and the editor Jonathan over at the locust house for a long time and um so I was really, you know, my desire to make a book that looked like that was kind of founded in a lot of these discussions that I had with Charles and Jonathan over the years. And um, actually, I was really happy. That I just learned um, last week that um, Charles Brown got a chance to see the Eclipse cover. He saw an advanced galley of it. He saw a color version of the cover um, before he passed away. And, uh, and sure enough, he also did not know what the artwork was originally intended for. But yeah. But it certainly fit the Eclipse series perfectly, and I was really happy to to see that kind of um, the circle remaining unbroken, or you know, getting that cover you know to him because you know he lived and breathed science fiction, and it was just really a really pleasure for me that he got to see it.
0: Now, coming up uh, a week from now, uh, we'll be uh, sitting at the Fairmont Hotel. Uh, trying to have uh, their presumably their continental breakfast for the uh, World Fantasy Convention.
1: Ah, the Nightshade Birthday Party. Or, yeah, the World Fantasy (laughs) Convention. Birthday
0: Party, how many years is it
1: now? Um, Let's see. So I think it's um, 11 11 years now. We put out our first book um, in World Fantasy in Monterey. Mm. Which was in '98. Boy,
0: think. that was the first convention I intended to tell the truth ever. The first genre fiction I attended. uh
1: yeah. A lot of us <laughs> we're getting older now, man. It's been uh, been a decade of over a decade now of going to world fantasy conventions and um, conventions in general. Like mm-hmm. I've been to a couple of world horror conventions before that, but um, world fantasy has always been one of my favorite favorite shows of the year, and not just because of the you know the nightshade birthday party it's um it's one of those conventions that is more profession professional oriented rather than mm-hmm. than fan oriented which you know maybe some people might might not prefer it but for me just a high density of of writing professionals of you know of writers and editors and publishers and artists and you know people who who are just really Passionate, like extremely passionate about the written form
2: mm-hmm. of
1: fantasy fiction, of genre fiction. Um, and so world fantasy kind of crosses over. Um, there's a lot of science fiction writers who attend as well. And,
0: and, and a lot of horror writers, too. And a lot
1: of horror writers. That's another thing about world fantasy that I've always been interested in. Is It's a, it's a vestigial reference to the fact that traditionally horror fiction has been a subset. Of fantasy fiction, and if you go back to things like Weird Tales,
2: mm-hmm. where
1: a lot of the kind of you know weird fiction, classic weird fiction, you know, which is ostensibly horror fiction, you know, that tradition was a subset of fantasy. H. P. Lovecraft was published alongside of you know Howard Phillips Lovecraft, yeah. and the World Fantasy uh, Award the trophy, uh, which was designed by Don Wilson, is a bust of of H. P. Lovecraft, and so I think it's um, really interesting that you know, this this convention and the tradition, particularly the World Fantasy Award, um, recognizes, along with, you know, more traditional secondary world fantasy, a la Tolkien, you know, horror fiction, as part of its rubric, part of, you know, what it encompasses. And so I think it's a really interesting mix. Um, and when I was on the World Fan, when I was a judge for the World Fantasy Award, I always tried to keep that at the forefront, because I think a lot of, in the last few years, you know, fantasy is obviously blown up and horror has been, you know, kind of marginalized in the mainstream. And so I, I was happy to see that our ballot really um, had a nice mixture of both fantasy and horror on it.
0: Well, arguably, uh, both science fiction and horror are, su- are subsets of literature of the fantastic in that they use elements of the fantastic. I think that's kind of the the John Clute position on these things. And I, and I tend to agree that, you know, fantasy is... Can be any piece of fiction that includes something that's slightly unreal, and that you know ranges uh, from Shakespeare to Michael Chabon. So, its fantasy has a, a, I think, a a wider reach. I think than either the other two genres, arguably. Although these days it does tend to include, you know, obviously a lot of stuff that's in the tradition of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, the secondary world stuff. But I like too the the literary emphasis on this. Convention that it's you know does focus on on the written work. So, so tell us who's on the ballot t- this uh, year, Jeremy.
1: Um, well, it's a really interesting ballot. Um, in particular, I've got a I've got a horse in the race um, with John Joseph Adams, uh, the Living Dead, the anthology that we published is up for uh, best anthology um, alongside a couple other really uh, interesting titles. Um, Anne and Jeff Vandermeer have a their steampunk anthology up on the up on the, the ballot and. Ellen Datlow's um, got her book. Actually, Ellen Datlow has two books on the ballot under anthology, with uh, the Del Rey book of science fiction and um, her best fantasy and horror. Um, and actually, the there's a little independent anthology um, called uh, Paper Cities, which is actually a favorite of mine. Um, and don't tell John, but I'm kind of um, really pulling for Paper Cities because it's a great, <laughs> great anthology of original fiction that just kind of like demonstrates you know, an interesting depth and breadth of the, of the fantasy field. So taking, taking my biases out of it, like if, you know, aside from Living Dead, I'd really love to see Paper Cities win, because that was a favorite of mine. But um, once again, it's a really kind of broad, broad-based broad ballot. There's a lot of different stuff. Under novels, you know, Neil Gaiman's Graveyard Book is up on, is up on the ballot. Um, but you have people as, as diverse as uh, Jeffrey Ford, and Cage Baker and Margot Lanigan and Daryl Gregory all in the novel category. Um, so, it's
0: now did the Daryl Gregory novel. What is that? I'm trying to remember. Oh, Pandemonium. Pandemonium. Yeah, that is a, was a fascinating novel and a really great. You know, as far as high concepts go, boy, that was that was a rocking idea.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it. It's interesting, the books that, that pull through the process.
0: And that's a first novel, too, so I that's
1: it's, really unusual. It's, it's unusual to see it in something like that in maybe popular ballots like the Hugo mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Uh, the World Fantasy is a uh, juried
2: ballot, mm-hmm.
1: and there's five different judges every year, and they have um, no overlap from year to year. It's a different, ju- it's a different set of judges every year. So it, they really do have a great process of pulling, you know, those gems out of the haystack. Wow, there's a mixed metaphor for you. Um, <laughs> pulling the gems out of the haystack and, and, you know, like the Dale Gregory, which, you know, might not have gotten all the, all the attention or accolades, you know, from the fans. Well, actually, I think it did, but, um, but I don't know. It's a, it's a really great I happen to be in enjoy the process of the World Fantasy mm-hmm. Award ballot because it generates such a diverse list. It generates a great list of reading. Like the ballot for me, mm-hmm. like who wins uh, next Sunday at the banquet, it's kind of secondary for me. But as a document of the genre um, of what's important, uh, the ballot is is absolutely stunning, and you know as a resource. So I really value that, and I value the you know the effort that goes in from these judges. Because, you know, some people will say, oh, well, it's the same people every year. And, you know, occasionally you'll see, you know, like a Neil Gaiman might show up, you know, if he has a piece of work in there, you know, something like that. But um, every year there's always somebody new on the list that I haven't had bef- read before or I haven't um, seen before. So it's, it's great. Um, Peter Beagle's got a couple of, uh, got a, a novella under here and... Um, collection category is interesting because Peter Beagle has a collection and Jeffrey Ford's collection, The Drowned Life, um, is on there alongside Kelly Link, um, Nisha Shaw, and uh, Sean Tan. And I think it's interesting, Tales from Outer Outer Suburbia by Sean Tan is is up under the collection Mm. category, so that should be pretty interesting.
0: Well, I think I like this idea of the um, awards being seen lists as as reading lists, because I think that's a really great idea. That's, I think, you know, maybe the the biggest service that these conventions can serve to those who don't, you know, have the time to attend um, is to just take a look at the whole list, not just the winners, but take a look at the whole list and grab stuff that you haven't heard of before because that's the, the joy of the juried awards, at least, is that they, you know, they're going to pull some stuff that you haven't heard of.
1: And there's definitely, you know... You can decide if you like the, you know, the particular style. Mm.
2: There's certainly
1: a, a universal level of quality, you know, amongst, the, what, amongst what ends up on the final ballot. I know when I was, when I was a judge, it was a, it was a cat fight of everybody, you know, having their favorites and listening to what, you know, the other people were saying. And, and it seems like my experience wasn't, wasn't uh, original. Everybody gets really passionate or wasn't unique everybody gets really passionate about you know about the ballot and I think there's a you know a universal level of respect about you know what does make it on the ballot is you know going to be you know a document that's read you know years from now I remember <laughs> I remember as a young science fiction fantasy reader like, actually going through the world fantasy awards like you you know ballots like you described um, and I <laughs> encountered a lot of different readers because of that
0: I've been speaking with Jeremy Lassen. He's the publisher of Nightshade Books. They have a new collection out, Eclipse Three, and they have a collection that is nominated for the best uh, anthology at the World Fantasy Awards. The Living, The Living Dead.
1: Living Dead by John the, Joseph Adams.
0: With, by John Joseph Adams. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy.
1: Always a pleasure, Rick.